Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series, presented by TELUS. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. This show is brought to you by Métis Nation BC, TELUS, and Jelly Marketing. Well, good afternoon. My name is Arlene Vertar-Hewitt. My ancestral line comes from the Batash Duck Lake and that region all in there. Ancestors from Big Bear Reserve and those nations around there. This was also me as a... <laughs> at the top there. That was me as a younger woman doing the work. I've been doing the work of uh, residential school healing really since 1991. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, involved in that. Tell me how that got started. As I said, I was, I was a social worker. Started to do in those courses a lot of uh, self-examination and that kind of thing. And so, you know, went back over, over family history and that. And I had kind of been used to doing that self-examination because of personal history and some history of addictions. I had to, I had to take care of that. And by the time this work opportunity came along, and by the time I went into the social work program, my first one in Calgary at Mount Royal College for, for my diploma, I was pretty well along the, the healing journey had done a lot of that self-examination work. So I recognized the value in it. And I knew that there were many, many, many people in our communities that needed to heal. So I recognized as well in that that early training that I had a, a special skill in being able to facilitate that healing. And I had a story to share. I had my, my own history to share. And I could, you know, use those stories to help other people heal. So I started to do that. I did that quite a bit, starting then in 1990. And then I worked for a period of time as an interim executive director for a National Addiction Society. We were in charge of developing training and research materials for NADAP workers across Canada. So one of the publications that we we had developed was uh, Family Systems. It's called In the Spirit of the Family. It's all about healing and grief and all of that that goes so much along with healing from residential school, Mm -hmm. scars from from, um, family trauma. I had a diagram here. I don't know if I brought it along. It was a diagram about the grieving grieving cycle mm-hmm. in communities. Sometimes um, whole communities can be can be grieving yeah. from from the hurts, mm-hmm. from the pain, and there can be all kinds of 
issues that, that come up in the communities mm -hmm. as a result of that. You know, there can be, uh, you know, lots of addictions, gambling, uh, family violence, sexual abuse, and, and all of that. And so those were all areas that I had something to say about and mm. something, to, something to, to share with the communities and, and a way in which I thought I would be able to, I would be able to frame it in a, in, a, in a healing way for communities. So coupled with that family systems program, I searched out, we had been funded by Health Canada to do this publication. And it was just one of the publications we did. And so when I approached the fellow there at, at uh, Health Canada and asked if I could acquire the rights to reproduce this document. Nice. And so he wrote, wrote me a letter, gave me the rights, and so I was able to reproduce the document and then go about in the communities using this document, mm -hmm. helping them to heal. And so I delivered that program many, many times through many, many First Nations communities and many, many places. And it's, um, you know, I've, it, it can be a week-long program. It could be like a, a two-day program or even I would just go in and do presentations. And then I started to do training of the trainers hmm. where I would go into communities and I would train communities so yeah. that they could do their healing at first, taking yep. the program then doing a training of the trainer, and then they would be able to go and deliver and at a certain level um, uh, and in their own communities. And I used to <laughs> kind of laugh and say, you know, I'm working myself out of a job here. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do yeah. because then it would be communities helping to heal themselves, right? And so, you know, in a lot of communities I did that because I went back time and time again. I really think, though, with the latest developments, I'll say, I really think that it's timely that the work could start happening again mm. in earnest because I think it's really needed by the communities. And I often hear community members say, you know, that there, there's really nowhere for us to go mm -hmm. to, to do this healing. Mm -hmm. They need to be supported mm -hmm. to do that healing. And this uh, workshop that I do, it can take up to a week, yeah. you know. And so how, how do they do that? If they don't get, you know, supported for the time off and supported for, you know, still getting paid for their work and, and that kind of thing to take the training. So I'm really hoping that it, that it gets going mm. again because I see it as a really good tool. It's amazing work. Mm. It really is to see people and, and communities mm. heal from, from those hurts and those pains, yeah. you know. And maybe tell me about your, your own personal my story. Own, my, yeah. own, my own history. Yeah. Well, this was my dad. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, Métis yep. with Remembrance Day coming up in yep. November. Like I brought this along because I, I like to remember him and his service to the country. My dad, my auntie told me that my dad had a really good education. Mm. He had grade eight, don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> and she said, and he was a really smart man. Yeah. And so my dad went and, and he fought in the war. Mm. And then once he returned... He uh, worked for the Department of Indian Affairs okay. as an Indian agent. Okay. So he was Catholic. Uh, he had gone to residential school. We went to a residential day school. Mm -hmm. And my story is different yeah. in that it's not 
it's not uh, one of extreme pain and, and hurt because of attending residential school. As a matter of fact, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for, for the message that those missionaries brought us in the early times mm-hmm. of, because I, I have a firm belief in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and, and the Holy Spirit, and I use that, that belief in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to, to spread the love and the care, and it helps me. It helps to ground me. It helps me with who I am. I still feel loved, and, you know, I, I haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind, you know. I believe that I'm given, given that by God. Mm. Those are my early teachings, and I've never, I've never let go of them, really. I had challenges in my life. Yeah. Otherwise, I probably would not have gotten into trouble with addictions. Yeah. But eventually, you know, those, those, I learned to apply those early teachings so that I could, I could use them to get well. Mm. I didn't know how to apply that before. So I went into a 12-step recovery program. And then I also, I also really, really support that for anyone that's mm. struggling. And, you know, those, those doors of kindness and love mm. are just always open to anybody. And, and uh, that message of, of life and, and hope was given to Bill Wilson. And they say Dr. Bob, those two brought that, that program to people. And they say it's a God-inspired program. And it's helped so many people you know, come out of the, out of the mire and start to live healthy and, and well lives, you know. And so that program of recovery, I, I applied that program of recovery to my own life. So today I, I really enjoy, I enjoy a sober, mm-hmm. spiritually connected life. Yeah. I have, you know, a fairly good relationship with my children and my granddaughters and mm-hmm. Great-grandchildren now, great-granddaughters. <laughs> I have two great-granddaughters and a great-grandson That's who awesome. just celebrated his first birthday last oh. week. <laughs> very so cool. cute. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I feel very sad for those people that did not have a good experience in residential school. I absolutely, I absolutely know that everybody's experience wasn't the same. And for those that are, are hurting... There's help, you know, there, there is help. I hope uh, programs that are developed to help people to heal, that they become more easily available. Because I think we're still at the stage where it's like, uh, oh, we won't talk about that, you know. Oh, well, this is going on, and did you know this happened to so-and-so and that kind of thing, and he had a car accident and he was, you know, he was impaired and, you know, and he's gone to jail or she's, this has yeah. happened in her marriage and this kind of thing. But looking at, at the result, but never looking at the why, you know, I really believe those programs of recovery. And if you deal with also the, the residential school mm-hmm. healing programs, it's going to get to the crux of the matter. Yeah, It's going to get to the to the root of the matter and, and really, really do it. Mm. You know, when I've done that healing work, one of the things, days of the, the program, we do a genealogy. Yeah. And then people are, are not only doing the genealogy, but really asked to delve deeper and to look at 
if they knew if there was addictions, mm-hmm. suicide ideation, sexual abuse, that kind of thing. So it can be very heavy, but it's, it's work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I think for too long, we're not talking about the elephant in the middle of the living room or bumping into him or stepping around him. And sometimes we hit him like a wall, but we won't admit that he's there. And a lot of times that's the elephant in the living room. We have to address those issues if we want to heal. Yeah. And so it's the same. It's the same in my family, you know, because um, we had residential school issues Mm -hmm. in our family because of the different life tracks that, Mm -hmm. that we've gone on. Our family, I did not feel as close to my family as I could because probably a lot of it was out of self-preservation too. And that's sad, really. Uh, that cutoff, I guess, is quite common for a lot of our, a lot of our people because we do that to, to survive, you know. Did your dad talk much about his experience in the residential uh, actually, school Actually, no, he did not. And he died very young too. He died at 44 yeah, heart attack. Yeah. And that had been his third mm. one, mm. you know. And I have nothing but good memories about mm. about my dad. Although I know when he came back from the war mm. that my auntie told me that she said he had that funny head, you yeah. know. And, and I said, Auntie, I think that's PTSD that yeah. you're talking about, post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, yeah, she said, I think so. Because she said... He was going around getting in lots of fights and he was drinking and angry a lot and all of that. And something happened to my dad because I think he was able to start to apply those early teachings that he had had to his life. And then he actually went back to the church. Well, he was never away from the church. I have a picture of my dad's dog tags here. And you can see here on his, his dog tags that there's, there's a picture of Jesus there. Yeah. And, and it's a medal that he wore with, wore with his wow. dog tags, right? And so he, he uh, you know, he, he stayed with the church and, and he taught us in that way and, and brought me up in that way, you know. So he, he didn't, didn't talk about his, about his residential school okay. experience in in a negative way, yeah. although my auntie did also say that he was a very smart man. Right. And she said he had a grade eight education. <laughs> and to hear her talk yeah. about, well, it, it, Native men, Indian men, Métis men at that time didn't have a lot of higher education. So that was higher education, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And my mom had, I think they said grade four. Yeah. Yeah. So even while you're here today mm-hmm. at this kind of gathering of survivors mm-hmm. and kind of descendants of survivors, mm-hmm. those that struggle with religion and faith and, mm-hmm. and you know, the history of what happened, how do you reconcile with your faith and what happened out there in these stories? Well, it's difficult. I guess I take it into, and I struggled with that for a long time. I actually... When the first uh, allegations started to come out years and years and years ago, and that's before I had started on my journey of helping with the healing and yeah. even my own, I went away from the church. 
you know, I, I started um, belonging to going to other religions and, you know, even tried the new age and that scared the dickens out of mm. me. <laughs> and uh, so, and it kind of got me back into the church. So I had gone away because of the allegations, yeah. you know, and I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile them. I didn't know how, how, how am I going to go to a church where there's pedophiles? So I started to to look at them as, oh, they're all pedophiles. They're all, that's what they are. And that's not, that's not the case. So today, you know, I, I started to realize and went through a, a, a process of, of healing with, with my church. And I started to realize and to look at it in context. And if you think about residential schools in Canada, there were thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of children mm. in the schools. And if you've ever been a mother of two kids, then you know how two or three kids altogether can become really unruly, mm. <laughs> you know. And I've got four at home. Myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can, can you imagine being in charge of, you know, sometimes in in a dorm of kids, yeah. maybe, you know, 50, 60 kids in a dorm, right? And that's one of the dorms. And then you had maybe three or 400 at the school, right? And so I'm not excusing some of the, the, the wrongs that they did, but I'm taking it into the context of when it happened. Corporal punishment used to be, I mean, white kids were yeah. strapped in the yeah. school, oh, yeah. you know? I remember being in school that for a period of time I went to a white school in North Balford. And there was she was a friend of mine and she was a, a blonde friend, but she was tough as nails and she wouldn't take no guff from nobody, including the teachers. And they didn't like her. I remember that she did something and she got brought to the front mm-hmm. and that teacher, and he was a male teacher. Yeah. He strapped her right in front of everybody, and he brought down that strap on her hands, like pounding her hands. And I remember, you know, that gets me here, where I'm watching that that white teacher pound on another white white student and pounding on her hands. And I would, I if she cried, it would stop, but she would not cry. She was so tough. And, yeah. and I remember sitting there thinking as a little girl, please cry, please yeah. cry, because I was just little. And she would not cry, and mm. he just he just hammered away at her hands. I, I just, you know, I ha- still have that memory. That was an accepted thing, yeah. like torture of, mm. of kids in school. Yeah. So taking it into context now, and you have Aboriginal First Nations, Métis kids yeah. in the schools, and there was that prevalent overall attitude that that kind of abuse was acceptable to children at that time. And so the physical abuses, I take that into context. Mm -hmm. And then the sexual abuse, you know, I I had that happen in my own family. So, you know, where not myself was affected, but members of my family were. And I think that that too has to be taken into context where you've had all of these thousands and thousands of kids. Sometimes these things happen in life and not only in Aboriginal First Nations, Indigenous lives, 
It happens in non-Aboriginal families as well, and it's still happening. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, it's becoming quite prevalent again with with all of the uh, stuff you got going on the internet and and all of that, right? And kids are sooner than they should be being exposed to all of this, and Mm -hmm. and they need to be protected from that. But you know, with the use of internet and all of that, sometimes they're not. And so, I try to take all of that into context, and yet. That other part of my brain says, yes, but they were entrusted with those young lives, yep. you know, and those, those were supposed to be priests that you could trust. Mm-hmm. And so what happened, what happened with them? And that one is, is a tough one to reconcile in my mind. So the only way I can reconcile it is I'm glad that the allegations are happening. I'm glad that more and more the church is being exposed because I do believe in good and evil. And I believe that evil is working really hard to destroy good on this earth. And I believe that the church is good. It carries a message, a very important spiritual message. And I believe that evil wants to see the destruction of that, that church that continues to carry that message. And so a lot of those weak ones, the priests, the ones that are too weak to resist that, would succumb to that and then be the, the perpetrators of those abuses and then hence making the church look very bad. That is how I reconcile it. And I am also quite happy that this is happening in the church. And I think more and more and more, if there's any more pedophiles, any more perpetrators in the church, I hope they are discovered. I hope they are, they are thrown out. And once again, you're going to have purity that should have been there in the first place. And so that's, that's kind of how, how I reconcile it and come to a, a place where I can continue to go in which I do I still I I attend mass I go to church and a lot of our Métis people do you know we have a lot to be grateful to the church for because our Catholic church kept stringent records about our baptisms Mm -hmm. you know I have I have history here of you have like my my great 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 grandfather Jean-Baptiste, born uh, European race, Roman Catholic, married Madeleine Bonneau, and then Madeleine Métis, Roman Catholic, daughter of Mm Jean-Baptiste, and here died, and then here Alexis Gervais, 1822, Red River Settlement, Roman Catholic, (laughs) and then married Madeleine Fallant, and it goes on right down to my history. A long line of Catholics. And so the church kept stringent records. And that is often how Métis people are able to trace our lineage and our connection to Métis, you know. And we have to be grateful for that because uh, if that wasn't there, we wouldn't be able to trace that ancestry. Mm -hmm. The births, the baptismal records, the marriages, and all of that. And my mom and dad 
were actually married in that uh, church in Batash. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was just recently at Batash this yeah. summer. Yeah. And uh, I think two, my two older siblings were baptized in that church. Wow. It's a museum now. Yeah, so of course, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can see the bullet holes in the yeah. front of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Beautiful stained I, glass window. In mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's a veteran's pin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this one here is for the uh, Métis Centennial Gathering that was in, in Batash. Okay. Yeah, and that was really cool to be at, the 40,000 Métis all there. You could just see all these canvas tents yeah. and RVs, and it was just wonderful. Yeah, and then this here is uh, showing that I'm a, a Métis elder for our, our local uh, early years center there in yeah. Kelowna. It's called Mama Wapun. Yeah, so... Just some little special pins on there. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now tell me about the, the, when the news articles came out, they would always put a disclaimer. You know, this is a triggering article or this is a, you know, a triggering story. And they would offer the, the 1-800 number, mm-hmm. the, the, the hotline. Tell me about the hotline and what that offers. I've not called it, but I think that hotline, uh, anyone can call that hotline. At any time, I believe it's uh, 24, 24 hours, and yeah. and that was that was a long time ago that that one eight six six number came out, and I would suppose by now they've probably gotten many 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 calls, mm-hmm. and that's so good that it's there. And uh, one of the speakers today was at the conference was talking about another one eight hundred number. I don't know okay. if it's the same one. Okay. Um, it might be. It might be different. Okay. Yeah. So it's good that those are there yeah. for those folks that are really hurting and, and have no one to immediately talk to. Because, you know, uh, if a person doesn't have someone that they can, they can share that with, uh, that they feel safe in being able to share that, yeah. then they're carrying that load alone. And it's a scary place to be. Yeah. yeah. Have you had a magic wand? Out there, what's called the magic wand experiment or a blue sky thought here. The one wish, one hope that you have. If you could, if you could just make something happen, your dream or your hope, reality, what would you like? Golly. Uh, oh, well, just like 75% of the population, I'd be rich. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, 75% of the population would say that. Yeah. <laughs> but rich doesn't mean yeah. really rich. Yeah. Right. It, I mean, I could be rich and yeah. very unhappy. And yeah. if I was dealing with issues of, of addictions, if yeah. I was dealing with, with issues of sexual yeah. abuse, if I was still dealing with issues of residential yeah. school, all the money in the world isn't going to help me to heal. No. It's, it's what I talked about. Yeah. It's, 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 it's about getting to the crux of the matter yeah. and getting to the crux of the matter as I was talking to you before about this, this, this work that I did, mm-hmm. a part of the work that I do is also was with a program called the Right to Be Special. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a sexual abuse disclosure mm-hmm. training workshop. And so that work was developed for these NADAP workers because one of the things that they told us as an agency that was responsible for developing their training materials was that 80% of the people that came to them for addictions help, mm. 80% of them had been affected by sexual abuse. Mm. That's, that's huge. Wow. And so they found that sometimes they were affected. If they couldn't deal with it, 
you, you don't feel comfortable in talking with the, about that. So what do you do? You shut down, shut down the disclosure. Yeah. Sometimes that disclosure will be the only time. That might be the first time a person's gotten enough courage yep. to to come forward and say, "This is what happened to me." And if they don't have that support to carry on with that healing, it gets buried again. Yeah. And then, you know, that those, those hurts that, that are buried, if you don't do something about that pain, yeah. it'll kill you. Yeah. And it can actually literally kill you through suicide. You might drink yourself to death. You might drug yourself to death. Yeah. You might violence yourself to death, yeah. you know, family violence, what it can do. And so that healing work is so important. So going back to your original question yeah. about, you know, what, what I would wish for, I think I would wish that we would, we would have the courage and have the place to go to to do our healing work. Yeah. That, and you're not going to get platitudes and you're not going to, you know, be told, well, here, beads and moccasins. <laughs> and it's important yeah. that, that, that beading is important, yeah. uh, that, that, that waving and all of that. But it's not going to get to the crux of the matter. Yeah. You're not going to talk about what it is that's really hurting you. And so that would be my wish. Would that there would be a place that a person could go when they were ready to go and do their healing. You know, there are all kinds of, of treatment centers yeah. Yeah. for addictions. Yeah. People can go into the treatment centers and work on their addiction to alcohol, their addiction to drugs, mm -hmm. and it's all about that. And it can be a month of that. Yeah. What if we had those kind of treatment centers for residential school mm -hmm. healing? Mm -hmm. How and they got, much they got healing, paid to be there. Or yeah. they, they got their oh, wages oh, oh, covered. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And, and how much healing would take place? Yeah. You know, we would do so much for those people that were on the streets. Yeah. For those people that are in broken families. Mm -hmm. There would be so much that would be done, but specifically about the residential school healing for our people. So that would be something I would really like to see. Is there anything else you'd want to share with listeners and viewers? I think this is just wonderful that they have this opportunity for the community to come together. They're going to be asking us here, I think, about do you want MNBC to, to do for, for those people, the residential school survivors? And I will be vocal yeah. <laughs> about that. And, and one of the things would be that there needs to be special places mm -hmm. where people can go and do their their healing work. And I think that there are a couple that have, have, have started that. I think there might be now, but um, this in First Nations communities. Mm -hmm. And so I'd really like to see that happening in our Métis communities, yeah. specifically for Métis. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. Great yeah. dream. And so, you know, just gratitude for, for this happening. Yeah. Gratitude for you folks for being here. No, it thank you for really sharing nice your story. To meet you. yeah, yeah, I really appreciate yeah. it. This has been the Metis Speaker Series podcast presented by TELUS, and I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to Metis Nation BC and TELUS for making this possible.
with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis news at metispodcastseries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lovelifeofficial, L-U-V-L-Y-F official, and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you, Marcy, for listening. Thank you.